praise God. First Corinthians chapter 13, beginning a new series called Tough Love. Someone say tough love. Tough love. Tough love. Amen. And this, I want to tell you, my disclaimer is not your typical love series or messages on love, although we will touch on some familiar points, but I want to approach this very important, very grounded subject in the Word of God from a few different angles today. And I want to begin reading what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. He says, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Verse 7, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Someone say love. Come on, everyone say love never fails. And verse 13, and now abide faith, hope, and love, these threes, but the greatest of these is love. Amen. I'm going to give you my title in just a few moments, but why don't we just pray one more time. Let's ask God to speak to us. Father, we thank you for your presence that is here abiding in this place. We feel it so intensely here and now, God, in this moment of revival, of restoration, this moment of glory, we ask that you would speak to us, God, and challenge us today, Lord, to view love in a new way and help us to grow and help us to learn the concept of, of how love never fails and how we can love one another better, God, and get over all the things that would try to disrupt love. God, I pray, anoint my ears and our hearts and my lips. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone say amen. You may be seated. Leroy Page's story is one of talent and resilience set against the backdrop of racial discrimination. Born in 1906 in Mobile, Alabama, he became uh, he came of age in the Jim Crow era where segregation was the norm and opportunities for black people were scarce. Growing up in a large family in poverty, Page began working at the tender age of eight, carrying luggage uh, to the local train station where he earned his nickname, Satchel. In the face of tremendous odds, Leroy Satchel Page honed an exceptional talent for baseball while serving a five-year stint in reform school. There he mastered the art of throwing a baseball with unmatched speed and precision. While his talent was undeniable, unfortunately the color of his skin prevented him from playing in the major leagues, forcing him to play in the Negro Leagues where he struggled to earn a living. But because of his tenacity, uh, determination, and showmanship, he eventually uh, drew the attention of all fans, leading to a historic debut with the Cleveland Indians in 1949 at the age of 41. That's when he started his professional career. And despite the joy of finally being a major leaguer, his time on the field was plagued by many problems, racism, 
and, and abuse was still prevalent, both from fans and even his own teammates. Rival teams would deliberately try to embarrass him by loading up all their best hitters at the same time to break his spirit, to force him to quit and to get out of the major leagues. Even his own fan base heckled him from the stands, making his career tumultuous and hard. Enduring unimaginable hurt and pain throughout his 18-year career, uh, his, his great career, Page left us with one uh, important and powerful enduring quote. He had many of them, but this one stuck out to me. He said, work like you don't need the money, dance like nobody's watching, and love like you've never been hurt. And it's the last part of that quote that has stuck with me these last few days. And, and I want to make that the title of my message. I want to borrow that today and preach for a little bit about love like you've never been hurt. Although you won't find that quote in the Bible, I can assure you that it lies at the heart of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, written by the Apostle Paul, who not only wrote it, but lived through it throughout his life and his ministry. The Apostle Paul was uniquely qualified to write about the delicate subject of bruised love because he knew both sides of the coin of hurt. On the one side, as Saul of Tarsus, he was hell-bent on hurting others. He made a living out of persecuting the church and wreaking havoc wherever he could to try to stop the propagation of the gospel. And on the other hand, as an apostle... He devoted his life to doing the exact opposite, to helping others by, by preaching the gospel. And during that process, he became a victim himself of betrayal, of offense, and rejection. So he was uniquely qualified to write on this subject because he had lived on both sides of the equation. Yet the same love of God that transformed his heart from that of stone to flesh on the road to Damascus where God encountered him, divinely enabled Paul to love, to love others without resentment, without bitterness, without the poison of anger destroying his life because he had discovered this truth about love, that it is possible that no matter how hurt you've been, by life or by people, both in and outside of the religious circle, it is possible to love like you've never been hurt. And I welcome the challenge today for those of you that in your mind have already maybe dismissed the notion that it is possible. I welcome that challenge today because it's not for me, but I believe for the word of God and the Holy Spirit to show you that indeed it is possible to love such a way. You see, if love is the greatest gift, then undeserved love is the most powerful expression of that gift. If love is the greatest gift, then unmerited and unconditional love is the most powerful expression of that gift of love. And Paul has many testimonies and many experiences that he can draw upon to, to show us uh, what this looks like. And I think in his letter to Timothy, it was his second letter, Timothy, Second uh, Timothy. And at the very end of that letter, it was really the last chapter of the last letter that Paul would ever write. His closing statement on life. 
for his ministry and for his son in the faith, Timothy. He writes some profound things, not because they're eloquent, they're very simple, but in his description of some relationships that he had endured, I believe identifies some things that we need. Paul, as he writes to Timothy, identifies several people in his ministry who had hurt him in one way or another, who had abused him, taken advantage of him, or deserted him. And based on these relationships, so if you have your Bible, I'm going to invite you uh, to track with me there at 2 uh, uh, Timothy chapter 4, because we're going to look at some verses. We're going to look at some relationships that, that Paul reflected upon in the dark and, and lonely days uh, at the end of his, of his life, as he was in, in, a, in a mood of reflection, thinking about a lot of different people. It wasn't all bad. He also talked about some good people as he was sitting there in that Roman jail cell. He talked about Luke and how Luke was still with him. And, and it wasn't all bad. But there were some relationships that Paul identified. And I think that uh, if we look at these relationships, we'll find three ways that you and I can love like we've never been hurt. The first thing that we can learn here that Paul identifies, he talks about, is how to let go of your past. And the first person that Paul mentions as a colleague and as a friend was a man, a young man by the name of Demas. You'll find it in, in verse 10. Paul mentions this, this young character, uh, someone who was under his tutelage, under his care and mentorship by the name of Demas. And Demas was for a period of time an associate of Paul. He was somebody that he not only trained, but, but a, he, who had accompanied him uh, in some of his journeys. And he writes about Demas, and he tells about what Demas had done to him. He said, for Demas, Demas has forsaken me. Having loved this present world, has departed for Thessalonica. Now this here is um, an important statement that, that he makes. Go back to that, that point where he, he says, Demas has forsaken me. He, he has loved this present world. Now, in this text, in the original Greek, there is some heavy emphasis on forsaking me. It wasn't in the original Greek. It's written in such a way that he didn't just, you know, um, walk away from the table and dismiss himself. Uh, he didn't just write him a farewell letter or, or turn in his resignation. And, and they had a, you know, they had a, you know, they hugged it out and they went their separate ways. The idea here is that he left him in a time of need. Paul says that I was in a moment of crisis. I was in a moment where I needed a friend. I was in a moment where the chips were down, and, and, I, and, I, was, and I was in a low point in my life. And it was at that moment where uh, my favorability, my popularity was at its lowest point. It was at that moment that Demas decided that he would leave me. He left me helpless. He left me with, with few friends. He abandoned me in a time of need. And, and, and Paul was reflecting upon this moment and how this young man, Demas, had just walked out on him, left him holding the bag, left him to figure things out on his own. And this wounded Paul. This hurt Paul. That the, the young man that he had invested in, that he had poured himself into, that he had trained and mentored and, and possibly even took in as a spiritual son, somebody that he loved, somebody that he, a relationship that he treasured, somebody that he envisioned would be with him possibly to the very end. He, he, he talks about him as if though he took a, a very special place in his life and he said he left me, he forsook me 
He left me high and dry. He saw something else that looked prettier and better and more attractive. He said he left me for the love. Or this, there was something else that took his attention that he, that he loved in this present world. He doesn't tell us what it is. We don't know what, what it was in the world that, that, that drew Demas away. But you've got to understand that as Paul writes this, he is profoundly hurt. He is profoundly heartbroken over what this man did to him. He left me at the worst possible time. I, I thought I could count on him. I thought I could trust him. I shared things with him that, that, I, that I, would just, I, I don't just share with anybody else. I, I opened myself up to this guy and, and I brought him into my world and I let him into that, that sacred place of my life. I, I gave him permission to know me. I gave him permission to be a part of my inner circle, to sit at the same table as I sit and to, and to break bread with me. He was like my, my own son. He was my colleague. He was my companion. And this is how me, he did me wrong. He did me dirty. I can't believe that he would just leave me like this. And I don't know if there's somebody here today that could identify with that. Somebody here today who's someone you never thought would betray you. You never thought would turn you on you like that. You never thought would, would speak uh, uh, on both sides of their mouth. Would in one way, uh, you know, show that they're your friend, but then turn around and stab you in the back or, or, or say things about you that are untrue. And I wonder if in that moment, can I just minister here today? Somebody say, go ahead. I wonder if in the moment Paul said, was it something that I did? I wonder if Paul said, come on, let's be real right now. When someone hurts you, sometimes there was this thought, w was it me? Was I not good enough for him? Was I not a good enough apostle? Was it something that I, that I did or, or something I didn't do? Did I, was I too hard on him? Was I, was I too soft on him? You know, did I not find the right balance? Is there something that I said? that? I, what did I do? He, he didn't tell me what I did. He just left. He just hurt me without any explanation. And, and, and I think that Paul was deeply struck by this because uh, when he writes, uh, he says that Demas has forsaken me. Notice he didn't say he forsaken the Lord. Notice he didn't say he forsook the work of the Lord, and that would also be true. But he said he forsook me. Because Paul took it personal. Paul was hurt by what he did. And everything in this situation points to the fact that Paul loved this man deeply. He loved him. He, he gave himself to him. And there is always a risk. There's always a risk that when you, when you get close to somebody, when you open up your heart, when you share and when you allow others to share with you, there is a risk to that. There is. There is a risk to that. Dr. Martin Luther King once said that there can, there can be no deep disappointment where there is not deep love. There can be no deep disappointment. Can I tell you, you'll never be dis deeply disappointed if you don't love deeply. That could be a, a very safe way to live your life, I guess, to not ever love deeply and to not ever allow people into your life because, yes, love can be risky. And, you know, the longer you live, somebody's going to hurt you. Can I get an amen on that? 
Somebody's going to hurt you. Somebody's going to uh, uh, take your, your love and your trust for granted. Somebody's going to mistreat you. It's going to happen. Life is messy. And people are dysfunctional. Guess what? We all are in some way or another. And it's going to happen. And, and you're going to get hurt. And if you love people, the chances that somebody is going to abuse that love, abuse your kindness, abuse your, your affection and your empathy, I'm telling you, as long as we are here on this earth, it's going to happen at some point or another. But I would rather, let me tell you, I would rather love at the risk of being deeply disappointed than to never love at all. Oh my God. I would rather love. You see why? Somebody might say, well, I don't know if I'm ready to do that. I'm not sure if I'm ready to open up. You see, you've got two basic choices when someone hurts you. Two basic choices when, when people hurt your life. The first choice is that you can turn your hurt into bitterness. You can allow a root of bitterness to, to germinate in your heart and, and, and deepen its roots into your spirit. And that bitterness will eventually take over your life. And eventually that bitterness will corrupt or that root will find its way into healthy soil and to healthy areas of growth. And as much as we try to contain our bitterness and our, our, our anger, our resentment into, you know, uh, put it in a little, a little potting soil and say, I'm just going to let it grow there. Life doesn't work that way. That root will eventually find its way and entangle itself into other areas of our life. Amen. Amen. And bitterness will cause you to build a wall around your heart. You say, you know what? I was a fool for letting that happen to me. I'm never going to let somebody get that close to me again. Can I tell you that the same wall you build to keep out your enemies will also keep out your friends? You say, well, you can't have it both ways. You can't have a little door in the wall for those that you want to let in doesn't work like that because you start to create a culture in your life. You create a way of interacting with people. And that same wall that blocks out the rain blocks out the light. You're right. Nobody can hurt you. If I don't get to know anybody, then they can't hurt me. If I don't let them in, they can't abuse my trust. You're right. You're right. You will, you will successfully avoid all those demises that you don't want in your life. But at the same time, you will not know the Tituses and the Timothys that God wants to bring to you. At the same time, you won't be able to benefit from the fact that there are some people that God wants to bless you with. And there is good in the midst of it all. Amen. So you've got one choice. You can let your hurt turn to bitterness or you can let it go and move forward. Someone say let it go. Let it go and move forward. That's your other choice. You can let the past go. Amen, somebody. You can let people go because uh, that bitterness uh, is only doing you harm. You say, I'm angry with that person and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just, you know, I'm going to attack them with my bitterness. No, the only person you're hurting is yourself. The longer you hold on to that bitterness, uh, you're only hurting you. You're not hurting that person. So let the people go and, and let the trauma go so that God can heal your heart uh, and so that we can see that there is another way. Second point is that, that you can forgive and let God handle it. Let it go and then forgive and let God handle it. Another relationship in Paul's life taught him this lesson about forgiving and just giving it to God. The second one was, was much different than Demas. You know, Demas, 
The thing about Demas is that I don't even think Demas, maybe he, let's give him the benefit of the doubt. Let's be generous with, let's be charitable with Demas today. Maybe Demas didn't mean to do what he did. Let's, 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 go, let's use some creative license today because the Bible doesn't tell us really. So I mean, let's just say he didn't mean to do it. Okay, you know, he, did, he was very immature. He didn't know what he was doing. Let's say that's the fact. Well, if that's the fact about Demas, let me tell you, we cannot do that with this young man named Alexander. Because Alexander the coppersmith, Paul writes, did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. What he is saying is like, unlike Demas, see, Demas may have hurt me indirectly by his decision, but this was not an indirect attack. This was a direct and dreadful blow. This was, this was, uh, he did me much harm. He was implying that what Alexander, this, this, this man named Alexander, that what he did was not an accident. What he did was on purpose. It was deliberate. It was intentional. It was orchestrated. What he did was he was trying to inflict pain on me. There is no way of giving Alexander the benefit of the doubt. This boy knew exactly what he was saying when he said it. There's no way of misinterpreting the moment. There's no way of having a different opinion. No, it is clear, at least to Paul, that what this man Alexander did was a direct attack against him. But you know the thing is, is that he doesn't tell us what he did. How would you, how many of you would like to know, what did Alexander do? Come on, Paul. You're holding out on us. Give us the scoop, man. What did he do to you? Huh? I'd like to know what Alexander did. To, to get this kind of attention, he must have done something. But notice, Paul said, no, no, I, I, I'm not going to get into it. And one of the signs that you have forgiven someone and given it to God is when you stop bringing up every detail. Mm, come on now. And reliving the hurt over and over again. Okay, see, you know you're on the road to bitterness when you keep bring, you keep like a video. You keep playing what happened in your mind, and then you hit rewind, and then you play it again and again and again. Paul doesn't tell us all the details about what he did because I think in Paul, in his spirit, in his mind, he had already let it go. He had already forgiven this man. If not, I think he might have went into great detail about what he did so that everybody would know how bad of a person this was and the kind of things that he is capable of doing. But Paul does not disclose the details. Doesn't tell us what he did. He said, because there are some areas that when God sets you free, from, there are some areas that once God heals it, you don't have to go back. Oh, my Lord. There's some places that one God deals with it and you truly give it to him. You stop going back and picking the scab and reliving the hurt over and over again. And I believe that there may be somebody here today. Let me tell you something about this message, my Lord. Even if you don't need it today, you know what I would like every believer in this church to do? Put this message in your spiritual medicine cabinet. Amen. You know why? Because if you don't need it today, keep living, my friend. You're going to need it. And when you need it, you say, I remember. Go back to your spiritual medicine cabinet and say, don't get bitter. Take this pill. Huh. We all need this. 
At some point, we all need it. And he doesn't disclose. But you know what he does say? He calls him, he gives us a little bit of information. He calls him the coppersmith. This man was a metal worker. And he was a metal worker who made a living. I'm going to make a connection right here. He made a, he made a living out of swinging a hammer and driving a nail. You know, someone once said that when you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. You know some people like that? <laughs> Don't look around the church. <laughs> right? When you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. When that's your only tool, that becomes your only way of solving problems. And for some people, a hammer is all they have to solve a problem. Anger is their way of dealing with situations. Hmm. Revenge, resentment, that's their way of dealing with things. And, and I think this is, this is true. See, Alexander, well, he was true to form because he was a hammer and Paul was a nail. He was a hammer and Paul was a nail. He was a nail. And, and, and every chance he got, what was he doing? He was, mm. oh, there's a Paul. Let me, mm. I haven't hit him in a while. <laughs> How many of you just, you, sometimes you feel like, yeah, I'm just a glutton for punishment, huh? Hey, oh, it's been a while since I've said something, but he just got the hammer. Mm. Because when you're a hammer, some people are just a nail no matter what. And, and you could try to warm up. You could cozy up to hammers all you want. And you're always going to be a nail around them. They're always going to be looking for a way to hit you. You say, well, maybe I just got to pray more. Maybe I just got to fast more. You can keep doing that and you'll still be a nail. When you encounter a hammer, you'll always be a nail. Saul, King Saul was a hammer and David was a nail. Every chance he got, I got to nail this kid to the wall. That's what he tried to do. He brought him in and to, to play worship and to sing for him. And then what he tried to do, he threw his spear. <laughs> huh? Because there's always going to be somebody that's after your anointing. Woo! That's after what your blessing. And after, you know what it is? I don't know if this is true about, about Alexander the Conference, man. But I know a lot of reasons why people will attack. It's because they're jealous of what God has done in your life. And if they can't be happy, honey, they don't want you to be happy either. If I can't have it, neither can you. Joseph's brothers were hammers. And, and, and Joseph was the nail. No matter what he did, he was always going to be a nail. He was always going to be a nail. He was always going to be a nail. They were just hammers, and they hammered him, and they hammered him. The Roman soldiers had a hammer. But Jesus took the nail. Because no matter what he said to him, he came into his own, and his own received him not. No matter what he did to try to be well-liked, and to try, he, he, he gave them every possible answer that they could to the riddles and the questions of the fairy. And still, they rejected him. Because when, when people have decided they're going to be a hammer, and you're the nail, guess what? They're going to nail you. 
And they nailed Jesus. But do you know how Jesus handled it? Oh, I believe that when he was on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He said, I've already forgiven them. And I've already decided that if you're going to hammer me and I'm the nail, I'm not going to hold it against you. I'm going to forgive you and give you over to God. Clap your hands and give God some praise today. This is what Jesus did for us. This is what he did. This is how. And forgiveness, what is forgiveness? Uh, I'm just going to take a few more moments of your time. Forgiveness is not swinging back. Because you know what the devil wants you to do? He wants you to be a hammer. If he, can, if he can get you to strike back, uh, he's trying to get a reaction out of you. And there are certain people in your life uh, that have been put there just to test you. Mm, just to Mm, just to stick their nose in your business and just to poke at you and get a reaction out of you. And sometimes they're, they're your friends or sometimes they're family members or sometimes they're, they can be anybody. And they'll say, they just, and, and don't get mad at them. Don't curse them out. Don't say, don't, don't, don't flatten their tires. And be, no, that's exactly what the devil wants you to do. He wants you to stop being a nail and start being a hammer. But did Jesus not say, turn the other cheek? You don't fight fire with fire. You don't fight the hammer by becoming a hammer. You say, you know what? If I've got to suffer for the cause of Christ, come on. Nobody wants to suffer anymore. If I've got to take a beating, if I've got to take one for the team, if I've got to stand there and take it like a man or a woman, if they're going to talk about me, let them talk. If they're going to come on, if they're going to gossip about me, let them gossip. Let them say whatever they want. But they will not get the privilege of watching me degrade myself and lower my standard. No, you be like Nehemiah and you. You keep on building the wall and let everybody talk and say whatever they want to and say we cannot get off of this wall to go down there and fight with you because we're building up the wall and we're building up the kingdom. Is there anybody here that wants to keep on building? Hallelujah. This is the only way to love like you've never been hurt. Paul writes in Romans 12, 19, beloved, do not avenge yourselves. But rather give place to wrath. He's talking about God's wrath. For it is rich in vengeance. Someone say vengeance. But vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. I will repay. Oh, can I go a few more moments? Is that all right? See, when you, when you really get a hold of this truth and you come to you come to a realization in your faith that God is sovereign over all. He's sovereign over all. And we have to entrust him, not only with our successes, but with our failures and with our, 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 the good things and the bad things, the good people and the bad people, and understand that the battle is not ours, my Lord, but it's the Lord's. Stand still. Bible says, and see the salvation of the Lord. Don't fight this battle. Give it to God. But you don't know what they did to me. I want to get on Facebook. I want to write subliminally and I want to just put it out there. Maybe they'll read it and know it was for them. Or maybe you should bless those who curse you. Oh, isn't that what Jesus said? We rejoice when he says, love one another. Hmm. 
We celebrate when he says, love your neighbor. But we cringe when he says, love your enemies. This is the attitude and the character of Christ. And if the more that we understand that God is in control, you know what I say? God will deal with them. God will deal with them. God is your recompense. God is your advocate. Jesus is your defender. Jesus is your advocate with the Father. Jesus is the one that will take you. You don't got to fight them. Jesus will fight for you. But at the same time, let's be wise. Someone say, be wise. You know why? Because Paul said, look, I'm going to say it like it is. In verse 15. Say, I forgave him. You know, I'm not holding it against the guy. God deal with him. God repay him. But I'm going to tell you, Timothy, because I love you, watch out for him. He said, also beware of him because he has greatly resisted our words. So at the same time, not only are we going to give them to God, but he tells Timothy, but be careful. Be careful. Know what you're getting into if you get close to him. He said he's resisted our words. What does that mean? The guy hasn't changed. He hasn't changed. He's the same guy. So be careful with him. Be smart about this. He hasn't changed. He has shown. So what am I preaching today? That you should just go and just start hugging all the cactuses in your life and just say, well, they haven't changed, but oh, well. No, no. Come on now. You can love them, but you can love them from, you know, over here. I'm going to love you from a distance. Amen. And and that's not, we're not saying just go and be reckless about it all. But at the same time, you, you, you know, you've got to give them to God. And, and then you also have to understand that let's be wise. Let's be wise. If they don't show any signs of remorse or repentance, they haven't changed. You've got to be wise. And while you don't need to trust, I'm not preaching you've got to go trust Alexander again. And give him the, the, the pin, to, you know, the ATM, the pin to your ATM and uh, you know, give them the code to your house. And all. I'm not saying go, go trust Alexander again. But in order to love like you've never been hurt, as I bring this to a close, you need to learn how to trust others again. I didn't say trust Alexander again. <laughs> He's already proven himself. But if you're going to love on the level that God wants you to, you have to learn how to trust others again. And Paul, he writes about another young man. He said, get Mark, who was John Mark. He said, bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. Now, whew, I don't have all the time to get into all the specifics, but I'll just give you a nutshell. I'll just give it to you, a thumbnail sketch of John Mark. John Mark was a young man whom Paul had allowed to join him and Barnabas on a, on a missionary journey years before this. And in the middle of that journey, John Mark did. You know what he did? He pulled a demas on him. And he said, I, I, can't, I can't go with you. And he deserted Paul. In the middle of this trip, he turned back and he left him hanging there. Whoo, that made Paul upset. And Paul said, you know what? In that moment, he said, this guy, I'm done with him. And the reason why I know this is because later on, when it was time to possibly take this young man again, Barnabas and Paul got into it about it. 
You read about it in the book of Acts. Uh, and the two of them, they actually fought. Hmm. Imagine these two men of God, they're, they're fighting because one says, let's, Barnabas says, let's bring John Mark with us. You know, he, let's give the kid another chance. You know, he deserves a second chance. And Paul was like, no. <laughs> like some of us can be sometimes, right? No. He messed up once, that's it. He had his shot and he blew it. I'm not giving him another chance. And they got into it. And it got so bad. Imagine that these are two, I mean, apostles in the church. They both had the Holy Ghost. And they said, you know what? We're going to have to agree to disagree. And they went their separate ways. Ooh, can you imagine how John Mark felt? I just caused a division in the church. I can't believe this. This is how strongly Paul felt about this guy's a quitter. This guy gives up when the going gets tough. He bails out. I don't want him on my team. And this is how he felt about him. But as time went on and as Paul began to realize, you know what? I can't cut people out of my life like that because eventually I'm going to be left all by myself and I'm going to need to start learning how to give people another chance. I can't have that kind of attitude. I can't just cut people in and out. I can't do that. He said, because there's going to come a moment. And that moment came. And Paul, as he was considering his life and his ministry, he said, you know what? This moment that I'm in right now, I'm in this dark and dank prison in Rome. And I'm thinking about men that could be useful to me. You know what? There was that kid. There was that young man named John Mark. And he blew his opportunity. But you know what? I've got to learn how to let these things go. I've got to learn how to trust again. I've got to learn how to love again. Come on up, brother. I've got to learn how to be there again. I've got to learn how to be present again. And he said, you know, Timothy, I want you to call that guy up again because I'm going to give him another chance. How many of you are thankful that God gave you a second chance? Woo. How many of you are thankful that God said, you know what? Others may have written her off. Others may have written them off. But God be the glory that he said you're still useful. How many of you are glad that God said, I can still use you. I can still bless you. I can still raise you up. Come on now. Every one of us are here today because God is a God of second chance. My Lord, somebody ought to praise him here today. I'm standing behind this pulpit today because God is a God of second chance. Woo, my God. Somebody clap your hands and give him some praise today. Yes, he is. But it's not enough for God to be a God of second chances. He's calling us to be a people of a second chance. Whew. He's calling us to do the same. He's calling us to love like we've never been. He's calling us to interact again with people, to go further with people. You know, Paul, Paul must have thought, man, if I give this guy a chance, what if he deserts me again? What if, what if I give John Mark another opportunity? Come on, let's be real today. Let's be just in human terms. Paul's thinking about this. If I let this guy back in, what if? Come on, have we all thought about this? What if, he, they, what if they do it again? What if it happens again? What if I open up my heart and someone hurts me again? What if I give myself to the church and a church brother or sister hurts me again? What if I go this, what if, what if I'm hurt? What if I'm hurt again? Paul must have thought about that. Man, do I want to sign up for that? I don't know. 
But then Paul realized what we need to learn today, church, is that unless you love like you've never been hurt, then you'll never love the same again. Could you stand with me here this afternoon? Unless you love like you've never been hurt, you'll never love the same again. Church, isn't this what Christ did for us? Amen. Isn't this what he did for us? Did he not give us a second chance? Did he not love us first? The Bible says we love him because he loved us first. Is it not true that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. Ooh, my Lord. <laughs> Jesus didn't die for us once we repented. He died for us with the hopes that we would repent. And sometimes you love somebody not because of what they've done for you, but with the hopes that they'll turn things around. Ooh, my Lord. The Bible says, in this is love. Not that we love God. Don't pat yourself too much on the back for that. But that he loved us. And he gave his son to be the propitiation of our sins. He took all of the punishment and all of the wrath and all of it upon himself. Cursed is anyone who dies on a tree. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And I feel the love of God in this place. I invite you right there where you are. Would you just enter a time of prayer with me? I invite you, if you have to, to close your eyes. I believe that the Spirit of God is working right now in this church. I believe that there is mending that God wants to do. Yes. I believe there is mending that God is doing. Mending in the body. Mending in the church, mending for those that may be watching right now, those that, that might be listening to this message, those that have been hurt, those that you can love and you can serve like you've never been hurt if you will simply let it go and forgive and give it to God and then be willing to trust again. Say, I don't know if I can trust the church again. Well, you can trust this one. I don't know about that church. Well, you can trust it. Oh. I know there's a few bad apples in the barrel, let me tell you. I know that not everybody has done it right. But what I can tell you today is that this is the day that the Lord has made. And you can rejoice and be glad in it. I feel like God is mending a relationship with him right now. Somebody needs to get right with God today. Somebody needs to bury the hatchet. You need to stop blaming God for the things that went wrong in your life. You need to stop blaming God for the stuff that didn't work out for the people who left you. You need to stop holding back because you think God was unfair to you at some point. Let me tell you something. God is sovereign and God knows how much we can bear. And I don't know why he allowed it to happen to you. But this I know that God already had a plan of redemption in place because God always has a way of escape and God always has a plan to redeem and a plan to restore and if you need restoration in your heart and you need restoration in your spirit I invite you right now to let God deal with it and let God renew you and let God re
rekindle the fire. I invite you to come back to your first love. Come back to that first love. I feel the Holy Ghost in this place right now. Come back to the love of God. Come back to love with one another. Oh, my God. It's time to bury it. It's time to leave it in the past.